Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you the fourth Aliyah of the Parsha of Pinchas for OU Shnai Mikra Echad Targum Project. Vayomra Adonai Moshe Lemor, Kain Benot Tzulof Chad Dovrot, Naton Titain Lahem Achuzat Nachala Betochachi Abihem, Vahavarta et Nachalat Abihen Lahen. So God decides in favor of the daughters of Tzulof Chad, which as I mentioned in the previous Aliyah, in my opinion, is not a decision about whether women should inherit their father's property, but it's a decision essentially, and not even so much a decision in favor of the daughters of Tzlovchad, but really a decision in favor of Tzlovchad himself. That is, whatever sin he committed, it did not rise to the level of Korach's sin, which would have caused him to lose a chilek, a portion of the people of Israel, and also by uh, by connection, a portion, his portion in the state of Israel as well. And as I also stated, God then gives a command regarding inheritance rights, which in my opinion was known and given previously. It was given to Moshe when he got the Torah in Har Sinai. Nothing has changed here. If there is no male son to inherit, a woman was going to get it and was going to get it ever since the Torah came down from Sinai. The reason why it's mentioned here in this book is the same reason that Tzitzit is mentioned in this book and Sota is mentioned in this book and some laws of Nadarim are written this book, are in this book and laws of warfare are written in this book because by connecting those mitzvot to the events that take place uh, in, the, in the Midbar, it uh, sheds light on both. And I'll return to this point in a second because I think there's something actually in the verse which proves that what's being stated is actually restating a previous law. And I'll get back to that. The Elbene Israel to Daberli Mor Ish Ki Yamut Uvein Ein Lo Vahavartem and Achatolovito. If a man uh, has no son, tell the, the people of Israel, if a man has no son, property goes to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, the, the, the property goes to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, the property goes to uncles on his father's side. Notice those words. As God had commanded, Moshe. So, if he has no paternal uncles, he gives it to the closest blood relative from his family, which apparently means from his father's side of the family, which means that there's a territorial integrity among the tribes. Um, and he, the relative, will inherit the property. And this is the set of rules for the children of Israel, just as God had commanded Moshe. Once again, this, I think, really supports my theory that the issue of whether daughters inherit in the absence of any brothers, which they do, was previously given Har Sinai. However, since inheritance is about to become the most pressing issue, the Jews are about to cross over into the land of Israel. They're on Arvot Moab. War is going to come. People are unfortunately going to die and inheritances are going to have to be established. So therefore, God uses the daughters of Tzlavchad event, which is really about sin and inheritance in Israel, not family and inheritance in Israel, and restresses, in my opinion, to the Israelites that, hey, you're about to go in Israel. So let's just do a refresher on the inheritance laws and let's avoid any kind of misogyny or somehow trying to cut the women out. If this father has no sons, 
then the daughter, daughter, daughters get it. And now in chapter 27, verse 12, since, as I said, the children of Israel are about to go into the land of Israel, they're literally one step away. And since Moshe can't go, it is time to tell Moshe that he must depart. The reason Moshe can't go into the land of Israel is uh, obviously a question which was dealt with two parshot ago in Chukat, and no doubt, uh, I don't know who taught that one, but whoever did, and, and, and I'm sure you've heard it before, um, probably you've all heard of the various possibilities of why Moshe received such a harsh punishment of not being able to go into Israel just because he hit the rock. So there's the hitting the rock twice issue uh, answer. There's the hitting it in anger. There's the speaking in anger. There's calling B'nai Israel rebellious. And of course, there's a Bar Vidal's controversial. It was all just an excuse, really. Moshe wasn't allowed to go in ever since the sin of the spies. But God didn't want to embarrass Moshe, so the, he uses this as an excuse to keep it, to keep Moshe out since Moshe didn't really do anything that bad here at all. I would just like to quickly add in my own opinion, since it will affect my translation of these coming verses, Moshe was the greatest teacher ever to live. He took a damaged generation, damaged goods, who came out of kicking and screaming out of the land of Egypt, people that saw a miracle and the next day they were back to complaining. And by the second generation, by the time their children are adults, he has taught people he has, he has brought the second generation up to a level where they're no longer complaining about why did God take them out of the land of Egypt, but why, why isn't Moshe bringing them into the land of Israel fast enough? They refer themselves as the Adat Hashem, which I'm going to review in just a second. So Moshe is the most brilliant of teachers to fix a generation in, of slaves and turn them into a generation of warriors in one generation, just that the children become that way. He is a master teacher, a healer of psychic and religious wounds. What Moshe isn't is a warrior. Moshe is not the kind of person that could lead young Turks into the land of Israel. He can take a twisted, a, a psychically damaged generation and turn their children into righteous men. Had he gone into Israel, he could not have led these warriors because that wasn't his ability. And Yoshua, the warrior, could never have done his job because you'd always have people second-guessing him to Moshe. So I, I just want to quote the second generation when they speak at the second hitting of the rock incident. Lama havetem et kal Hashem. Look how they refer to themselves. Why have you brought the assembly of God, the congregation of the Lord? No gener- the first generation never referred to themselves that way. El Hamid Barazeh, why did you come to bring us to this lousy desert, Lamut Shamanachu Birenu, us and our, our flocks? Lama Helitami Mitzrayim, why did you take us out of Egypt? Not why did you take us out of Egypt, period, but why did you take us out of Egypt? Lahabi Otanuel Makoma Razeh. Well, why did you bring us to this lousy desert? This is not the place of fl- the land of flowing of fruits and milk and honey. That's where we want to go. That's my two cents on it. So it's not that Moshe is being punished for his actions. It's just his a- actions demonstrate that he was not the right leader for this brand new people. And in fact, he didn't even recognize that this massive ch- a change would take place. When God told him to speak to the, to, to the rock, he hit the rock because that's what he did the first time, 39 years ago, when God did tell him to hit the rock. But the times have changed. 40 years have gone by. The people are completely different. But Moshe has spent all of his brilliance on making that happen. So he's stuck in that older generation. You need a new young Turk to lead the new young Turks. And that's my two.
two cents on it. What is important here in this particular case is what we have here is a classic example of Ein Mukdam Umuchar B'Torah, which means that the Torah is not necessarily in chronological order. See, in this section, we'll see Moshe is commanded to die. And yet we'll see later on that Moshe is leading armies against the Midianites, which is also out of chronological order. And he's handling political disputes and theological disputes. And that's because the Torah is ordered not by time, but by theme. Now, it's true. Very often a theme runs along a nice, simple chronological order. Event leads to event leads to event. But here's a case where it does not. And therefore, even though Moshe is about to die here, we will see him later on in the book. And, of course, in Sefer Tavarim as well. So... Everything is about to, everything is ready to go. The Jews are literally one foot away from Israel, so Moshe, your time is up. The Lord said to Moshe, ascend this mountain of crossings, meaning probably the mountain that looks over the Jordan River crossings, and look at the land that I have given to the Israelites. I don't think God is being mean here. It's not like, look it, but don't touch. That's not what's going on here. Uh, and, and and there's more complications this narrative if we take a look at Parshat Vet Hanan and Tvarim, which which I'm going to leave alone for right now and get back to in Parshat Vet Hanan, which I think I am uh, teaching. But I think of this kind of like you know in terms of a diabetic, a diabetic cannot eat a big a big yummy block of chocolate. But I can tell you that a diabetic knows since he knows that he can't eat it. There's a smell about it. In fact, I would argue that you could say Brochat Hashem Lokinim Al if you are a diabetic and you can't eat chocolate ever, but you smell the beautiful smell, you know, sometimes it's not perfect, but I think God wanted to give Moshe at least a smell. And while a smell is no uh, uh, replacement for the real thing, if you can't have the real thing, then it's the next best thing. And after you see it, you will be gathered to your nation, meaning you will die just as Aaron was gathered to his nation. And the reason why the two of you couldn't go in is, It's a difficult sentence, choppy and a little bit repetitive. Uh, and the translation of it really depends on your understanding of what transpired back in the Chukat, the, hitting, the second hitting of the rock incident. So uh, I already gave you a little preview, and that's why I gave you a little preview of my viewpoint, so that will affect my translation as follows. You and Aram cannot go in Israel as a result of you undermining. The word Maritem means to rebel, but I think here it means to sort of undo or go against my attempt to sanctify myself in their eyes. That is, the way it reads is, Kasher Maritem Pi Lahakti Sheni Bamayim Bimid Bartzin. So the, the Pusik is what's called Sarsehu Vidarshehu. It's a, uh, the, the the modifier is placed in, a, in an awkward place to focus on the fact that there was Moshe didn't rebel against God, but that's what happened in the end. Um, that is, this could have been a powerful moment, you, but you treated Generation One as if they were Morim. You even called them Morim, Shimunaha Morim, the rebellious ones, but they weren't rebellious. So in the end, your words were the Morim, Kasher Miritem Pi, you were the Morim. Not in a rebellious, nasty sense, but in the sense that somebody does something to cause an undoing of my plans. Somebody who went against what I wanted in Midbar Sin at those waters of conflict. Now, 
we have the most shocking Pusuk in the whole Torah, in my humble opinion. And it's a Pusuk that most people ignore completely uh, and therefore miss the excitement of it. And here it goes. Vayitaber Moshe El Adonai Lemor. I think maybe I should just uh, wait for that to sink in. It doesn't say Vayitaber Hashem El Moshe Lemor, as it says hundreds of times in the Torah. It says, and this is the only place it uses these exact words in the Torah, Vayitaber Moshe El Adonai Lemor. Moshe is commanding God. Remember, Vayidaber Lemor is specifically used for commands in the Torah. And it is always God on the command again. But here it is Moshe commanding God. You have to feel the tension of what that means for Moshe to say, you listen here, God, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Now, there is a similar, similar such tussle in Sefer Shemot where Moshe speaks to God in, in such a way, although it's not Vayidaber Lemor, it's Vayomer. Um, there, uh, Moshe was really not into the whole idea of being selected as the one to leave the Israelis out of slavery. So there was tension there as well. But not like we have here. Moshe is using the command form to command God. Um, and, and therefore, the rest of the short piskah has to be read with that type of tension. Um, what has, was hap- as just happens we've seen, is God has fired Moshe, to put it bluntly. And if we assume that the heir apparent of that Joshua is already known, he is leaders of the army, he's the one of the Dumaraglam that came back with the good report, he's the one that God said will be going into the land of Israel, along with Kalev, Moshe doesn't seem to like the idea that Yoshua is going to take over. Now, it could, it could, I could be making that up. It could be that there is no apparent Moshe, uh, heir apparent, and Moshe just wants to remind God to appoint a new leader. But that seems unlikely. What does he think? God's not going to appoint a new leader. And it also in, ignores the tension in that very, very unusual Vayidaber Moshe El Adonai Lemor. Rashi even takes it a step further and says Moshe had somebody specifically in mind, which was his sons. He wanted his sons to take over, like any leader wants to pass over leadership to his sons. And God says, no, no, it's not going to work out that way. It's going to be Yoshua. I sometimes wonder whether Moshe had Kalev in mind to take the actual job, because there's a lot of tension between Kalev and Yoshua in the book of, uh, of Yoshua. But that really, this is not really the place to go into that. So Moshe says, he commands God, Yifkod Adonai Elohei Arucho Dechol Basar Ish Al Ha'ida Asher Yitzei Lifneem Asher Yavo Lifneem Asher Yotziem Asher Yiviem Velotia Adat Adonai Katzon Asher Ein Lahem Ro'eh O Lord of spirits that belongs to all men, meaning you understand the spirit of man, that is the spirit of the man who will be led, and the spirit of a man who can be a leader. Appoint a man, an Ish, Ish doesn't just mean any man. It means an upstanding man, a man of power and significance over the assembly, one who will go before them, one who will come back before them, one who will cause them to go, one who will cause them to go back. Those words, when they're used together like that, always, maybe almost always, but I'm I'm tempted to say always in Tanakh, mean war. Yetzei means to go out to war, Yavo is to bring people back from war. And note the words in the Hifiel, that is the a causative meaning he won't when he doesn't go to war he will be commanding them and giving them the strategy that will lead them in their military uh, attacks and in their ability to return safely now there's no question that uh when god says well, I'm sorry when Moshe says and don't let the uh congregation of Israel the assembly I'm sorry the assembly of god atat hashem katsona shein lamrahad don't them be like shepherds without a a uh, a, uh, a like sheep without shepherds so that is a military term used often in the military sense but it probably also indicates spiritual leadership but there's no reason why the two of those should not be uh connected since at that time and probably in this time also our military leader and our shofar 
fate, our judge, our ruler, one and the same, a commander-in-chief. So this is what God has to say back to Moshe's commandment. Note the word lecha. It's like you must do it for your own sake. But the Lord said to Moshe, Moshe used the word but, I think that's the right sense. Take for yourself, meaning I'm telling you what's good for you and for the people. Take Yoshua ben Nun, who is an Ish. He's the man. Who has the spirit in him? You said I know who has the spirit and who and how to choose the right Ish. You're right. I do. And it's Yoshua. And place your hands on him. That's called a smicha, meaning that transfers, we'll see, not only the right to serve and to be the leader, uh, but uh, there will be a transfer of, of Moshe's ability of prophecy as well. Meaning everybody will know that you approve of him and that he is your heir. And stand him up before Elazar the priest and before the whole assembly and do it in public view, le'enehem, meaning everybody has to see it. Because everybody has to know that it is you saying this is what needs to be done. Because if they sense any kind of, you don't want this guy to be your leader, the whole thing's going to fall apart. The next leader, the next heir, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And you will transfer some of your hod, mi hodcha, not all of your hod, nobody could be like Moshe, but some of your glory, meaning some of your power of spirituality and prophecy onto him, and do all of this, the public appointment and transfer, and the transfer of the spiritual powers, so that all the Israelites, Yishma, they will hear. And Shema doesn't only mean to hear audibly, but to accept, not seven, Yishma, we will, we will do it. And he, Yoshua, will stand before Elazar and make inquiries using the mechanics of the Urim before the Lord. Meaning, don't worry. I know what you're probably thinking. Yoshua is not you. Yoshua does not have the ability to directly connect with me. He does not have an open, high, high bandwidth connection to me. But A, he'll have some of it because you'll transfer some of it. Or he'll have even more of it because you'll transfer it. And B, he'll have help from Elazar, the kuhuna, using the Urim Tumim. So based on A and B, Yoshua will command them. He will go out, in and out, that is, to war with them. And all the assembly, which means he'll go to war, the assembly will, will, will go to war. All the power brokers, the governors, everybody, they'll all accept him and they'll all follow his lead as he leads Bnei Yisrael. So Moshe did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Yoshua and stood him up before Elazar, the priest, before the whole assembly, which means a public coronation, if you will, and he pressed his hands on him and he commanded him just as God had commanded through Moshe. That is the end of the narrative. The next three aliyot are about um, the sacrifices of the holidays, and I believe it continues the theme. You're about to go into Israel. The Mishkan, which has been largely inactive, except for the Pesach, the final Pesach in the desert, but the Mishkan has essentially been inactive, but you're about to go into Israel, and a center part of that ability to have a state will be have a unified religious uh, uh, community where the holidays are days of meeting and greeting and sacrificing and joy, and God is about to go through all of those, um, all of those holidays and the sacrifices that are brought in, the ones that we read during Musaf prayers.